Good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, I want to s- extend uh, a special welcome to you. We'd love to meet you uh, afterwards. Come say hi. If you have a Bible, grab it. If you have a phone, uh, download a Bible app on there uh, or open your Bible app. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, you may have noticed just we're, we're kind of making a bit of a push to get people involved in the church. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to actually just take some time to stop and do what we call a We Are West Village Sunday, which is really an opportunity for us as a church to kind of celebrate what God's been doing in our midst. Um, we, we call these like family chat Sundays. Back in the day when I was like, you know, not super nice and grumpy all the time, um, we called them purge Sundays or punching the throat Sundays. There's been a lot of different names for them over the years. And now we're just going to call them We Are West Village Sundays. Um, and, and really what we do on a We Are West Village Sunday is we just go like, hey, it's time to have a family chat. And sometimes those family chats are like, family chats. And sometimes those are like, hey, this is awesome being a part of this family. And this one is definitely a, hey, this is awesome to be a part of this family kind of family chat, where we just want to pause and acknowledge the good work that Jesus has been doing among us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, good. Yeah, somebody clap. Started to clap. There There we go. Hey, hey, I like that. I like that. I like that. Um, And so what we're going to do this morning is really I want to like be like just crazy clear, like super clear about where we're going. Normally we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're going to just pause that this morning and just go like, here is what it means to be a part of the church. Here's what it means to be a part of the church in general, but specifically here at West Village, here's what it means to be a part of West Village. And here's how you can get plugged in. Because like I said, God's been doing a great thing and we've been growing. We've been seeing lots of new people come, get connected here at the church, get plugged in. Um, and really now it's time to have like one of those chats where we just kind of all get on the same page where we say like, this is what we are actually about as a church. We feel like it's kind of incumbent upon us uh, to, to lay that out there so that everybody is on the same page. So here's my goal for this morning, two goals. I'm just going to put all my cards on the table. The first one is this, is that we would come out of here this morning and we would love Jesus more than when we came in. That's our goal every time we meet together as a church. That's our goal for us as a church family, just in general, as we live out this life of what it means to be the church together, that we would love Jesus more uh, than we did before we got here. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Jesus lots. We're going to talk about his church lots. And my primary goal here uh, for us this morning is that we would encounter him in a unique way. We would meet with him in a special way, and we'd be changed and transformed as we understand more who Jesus is and what it means to be a part of his family. But there's a second uh, thing, goal, objective this morning, and that is this, that we would love the church more by getting involved in the disciple-making game that Jesus calls us to be involved in. Uh, we're going to unpack what that means this morning. That's basically what my teaching is going to be this morning. But I'm going to get super practical, super pragmatic towards the end and give you three very specific ways for you to get involved in West Village. And here's the three ways. I'll just put them out there right now. The first one is this, serve at our Sunday gathering be involved in one of our serving teams. We'll talk about that at the end. The second uh, thing is to participate in a community group, to actually get involved in the the day-to-day life of what it means to follow Jesus. And then the third thing is by giving financially. So those are the three ways we're going to call you to get involved. Uh, Like I said, what God's been doing here has been great. We've seen lots of people come. And what we're doing now this morning is really just inviting all of you who are new, all of you who have been kind of coming for a while now, but aren't officially Uh, you know, connected. We're inviting you into the inner circle of what it means to be a part of this weird, crazy, dysfunctional West Village family. So that's the goal of the morning. Now, I'll just say this as a little caveat before we jump in. Um, If you're just visiting, if this is your first Sunday, in some ways it's a great first Sunday because you're going to get to 
uh, you know, peek under the hood of what it means to be a part of West Village. But I don't want you to feel any sense of like, you know, get in or get out. That's not the goal here. If you're here and you're on a spiritual journey, you're just figuring this thing out, you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, same thing for you. This isn't a get in or get out, but this is a call to those of us who would identify as followers of Jesus and who would identify that this is our church to actually participate in the life of what it means to be a part of West Village. Okay, just so we're clear. So you can't leave here and say, man, Chris is a jerk. He told us if we're not going to be you know, involved that we have to leave. I didn't say any of that. It's on video. It's on podcast. You can't, you know, you can't say I said that now. Okay, we, we know. And it might come across like that because I just have this way of coming across. That sounds like that from time to time. It's a spiritual gift. Um, <clears throat> But it's not my intention. It's just who I am. Pray for my wife. Okay, if you have a Bible, go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Okay, this is a verse that uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you should be very, very, very familiar with. I probably don't even need to put it on the screen. Don't even need to call you to turn there because you all have it memorized. Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. And this is, this is just my opinion. I think this verse, it's a great verse to actually summarize for us what the entirety of the Bible teaches. Like if you were to view the entire Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, Genesis to Revelation as a story, I believe Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 is a great meta-summary for what the Bible actually is teaching us, the story that the Bible is actually telling us. And so here's what it says in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just really quickly, show of hands, put your hand up if you've heard us read, quote, recite that verse here at West Village before. Don't be a participant. I think that's Gwen. Gwen, you've been coming here for like a number of years. Put the hand up higher. There we go. Yeah, okay, that's, that's better. That's better. We, we cite this verse all the time. And the reason we cite this verse all the time is because this verse encapsulates for us what we think it actually means to be the church. Not just the church here at West Village, but every single church. We believe that this verse paints a picture for us of what Jesus' heart and Jesus' desire is for his church, for his people. And we get this picture here of, of what we call at West Village gospel saturation. Okay, put your hand up if you've heard that word before. If you Gospel saturation. Okay, good. Okay, good. That's good. We're getting... We're getting into it this morning. Gospel saturation. And the definition that we use of gospel saturation, it'll be on the screen behind me is this. It's that every day, every man, woman, and child would have an encounter with Jesus and his church through word and deed. In other words, if you were to take Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 and, and our definition of gospel saturation, you would hold them up side by side. You would see that those two things are synonymous. They're saying the same thing. Listen to what Habakkuk says. I'm just going to tease it out here. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How much does the, the sea or the water cover the sea or the sea cover the water? Like completely, right? It's completely full of the water. The sea is completely full of the water. The water is completely full of the sea. So God's heart for his people then in his heart for the earth, is that the earth would be completely full of his glory. Well, how does that happen? That happens through his people. When we, when we look at the story of the Bible, this is what we see. And I'll just give you a, a really quick fly-by version of the entire Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God makes man, Adam and Eve, man and woman, in his image and likeness. So the reflectors of his glory, the, re, the reflectors of his image, the reflectors of his likeness, the reflectors of who he is. And he gives them a command or commission 
in Genesis 1 and 2. He says, now go and multiply, which is a verse we have just embraced wholeheartedly here at West Village. Right? We are pumping out babies. I don't know if Justin and Jen are here, but Justin and Jen just had it. Like, we're, we're multiplying. We're being faithful to the word of God in every way. He says, go and multiply, right? Multiply fill the, and fill the earth and subdue it. So, so think about this with me for a second. We have Adam and Eve, they're reflectors of the image and glory of God. They're, they're reflectors of the image and likeness of God. They're bearers of the glory of God. He calls them to fill the earth, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, fill the earth, saturate the earth with my glory. Just like the waters cover the sea, just like the sea covers the waters. I want the earth to be saturated with my glory. That's the beginning of the story of God. The end of the story of God, we have this reality, Revelation chapter 21. We get this beautiful picture of what eternity is going to look like. In Revelation 21, John paints this picture for us where, where the Spirit pulls back the veil, allows him to see heaven, and he describes it as a place where there's no more sadness, there's no more sickness, there's no, every tear will be wiped from every eye, there's, there's no more mourning, and all there is is Jesus and his goodness and his glory and us. In fact, there's no sun in heaven, and the reason, S-U-N, and the reason there's no sun in heaven is because the place is beaming with the glory of God. Again, we get this picture of saturation, of God's heart, his plan. But in between those two bookends, in between the two bookends of the story, there is this Genesis 3 reality. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve, they make the decision to walk away from God. And with their decision to commit treason against God, to rebel against God, sin and death and the curse enter in. And they walk away from God. They walk away from his vision. They walk away from this, this idea that he has of, of filling the earth with his glory. And instead, they don't bear his image and likeness in a full and complete way. And instead, they start to live for a different glory. The earth is now becoming filled with a different glory. Instead of the glory of God, it's, it's, it's a glory that is reflecting sin and death. And the rest of the Bible, the entirety of the, the Old Testament and the New Testament is God's plan to bring humanity back to this Genesis chapter 1 and 2 reality. And so we see that through the nation of Israel. We see as God's working through his people in the Old Testament, his desire is what? Reconciliation, that he would bless them to what? Be a blessing, a reflection of his blessing to the nations. We see this through all the covenants he makes, and we see that Israel continually walks away, but God continually in his grace and kindness pursues them. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and in John chapter 1, John, when talking about Jesus coming from heaven to earth, he calls him the, the full manifestation of the glory of God. And so again, we see this perfect image bearer of God. And it's through Jesus that, that God establishes a new covenant with a new people. Smack dab right in the middle of God's story, Jesus establishes what we know and what we call the church. The church is the new Israel. The church is the new means by which God is going to manifest his glory to an unbelieving world. The church is the means by which God plans to satisfy his intention for gospel saturation. It's a beautiful picture of who we are. We've been having these discussions as a staff. We've been reading some books together as a staff, and, and recently we've been reading a book, and, and this uh, author, he paints this picture of the church that very much sounds like what uh, 
God is talking about here in Habakkuk chapter 2, but he, he identifies some problems about the way that people often view the church. And I think if you, if you just reflect on this with me for a second, you, you will understand what he is saying. He says there's three ways that we can think about the church. And he uses sort of uh, uh, nautical analogies, okay? And, and this is not a world I'm very familiar with, but bear with me. He said some people view the church as a cruise liner. They, they see the church as uh, this this ship that exists to serve their needs. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise. It doesn't sound that exciting to me to be trapped on a boat for a week or two weeks, but people that go on them tell me they're awesome. Why are they awesome? Because everything there is designed to meet all of your needs all the time. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're bored, there's something for you to do. You can play shuffleboard. You can do whatever. You can go gambling. You can have lots of food, lots of beverage. You can just sit out on the sun deck and get fat and sunburned. Like, this is what a cruise liner is designed to do. They, they spend all kinds of money, time, effort, and energy figuring out how to entertain the people that are going to be on the cruise liner. And so if you go on a cruise liner and they start asking you to do stuff like do your own dishes, clean up, you're like, this is stupid. I paid thousands of dollars to be here. I want a refund. He says, some, the author of the book says, sometimes we can think of the church like that. We can actually come into the church and we can view it like a cruise ship. We start asking questions like we would ask if we were on a cruise liner. Uh, does this church meet my needs? Is the guy doing the preaching, is he funny? Is he witty? Is he smart? Is he good looking? Now, thankfully you found one where that's the case, but it's joking, kind of. Is he, never mind, you won't get that joke. Only me and my wife will laugh and then it'll just be awkward. Um, do they have things for my kids? Do I like the music? Does this meet my needs? Right? And we start to treat the church like it's a product we consume instead of a people we belong to and a mission that we serve. And as soon as it ceases to meet our needs, as soon as something goes awry, someone says something mean, the pastor forgets our name, which happens all the time, we're out. We're out. And we're going to go find a better restaurant, a church. It's a wrong way to view the church. Now, let me just be clear. I'm, I'm not saying there's never a reason you should leave a church. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you're here from another church, we want you to leave. But I am saying we need to think about how we view the church because some of us view the church like a cruise liner. So there's another way that we can view the church. Use the analogy of a battleship. This is a battleship is a ship that goes out on mission, right? It's, it's, got a, it's got a mission to perform. And so it goes out on mission, it goes to war, it goes in fights. He says, and in a battleship, you have some generals and you have some leaders and they're organizing the mission and they're making sure everyone's doing their job well. He says, here's the problem with a battleship in relationship to the church. He says, in a battleship, a lot of times, there's a few people that are responsible for doing most of the work, and then there's a whole bunch of people who just volunteer, fill holes so that the work can get done. He says, so a lot of people come into the church, and they see the elders, and they see the staff, and they feel like it's their responsibility to make sure that the church is doing the things that the church is supposed to be doing, and all we're here to do is like, you know, pitch in once in a while when they call for help. Now, that's a better view of the church than the cruise liner. But my contention to us this morning is that's not actually the biblical view of what the church is. And so he posits this third view of the church. He calls, he says, it's helpful for us to think of the church as 
an aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier goes out on mission. An aircraft carrier has a mission. But here's the difference between an aircraft carrier and a battleship. An aircraft carrier goes to the edge of the mission, right up to the, right up to the front lines, but not right into the battle. And then it sends out airplanes. And the airplanes actually go out and do the fighting. They go out and live out or fulfill the mission. And the aircraft carrier is there to, to care for the pilots, to take care of the planes, to make sure that everybody's ready to go and do their job. And he says, this is a more helpful picture of what it means to be the church. And, and I'll just be honest with you here at West Village, that's, that's how we view the church. Uh, we don't view the church as this thing that, that, you know, where the staff and the leaders organize everything and you guys just kind of plug in, the rest of the people just kind of plug in and serve and, and volunteer in a few spots and places. We actually view the church as this hub, this resource hub where you get cared for, you get equipped, you get uh, led, and you get sent out on mission. See, we actually view you, us, together, all of us, as the ones who go out and do the battle, do the fighting, fulfill the mission of making disciples. What's interesting, just to go back to the story of God for a second, is in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives his, uh, his kind of last words to his, his disciples, he says this in Matthew chapter 28, he says, go and make more disciples. He calls the church, his followers, his people to be a disciple-making people. Very much in the way that God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so there's this reality for what it means, uh, there's this reality of what it means for us to be the people of God that we are to be the disciple makers. It's not the church's job. We can't outsource it to the church. We can't outsource it to the paid professionals. We can't outsource it to the leaders. It's actually our job. It's actually your job. You are responsible for disciple making. You are responsible for mission. You are responsible for care. You are responsible to do the work of ministry. And the picture we have in the New Testament of the church, of the leaders in the church, it's their job to care for you, to equip you, to serve you, to help you, and to shepherd you so that you can do that well. And so we have a mentality here where it's all hands on deck. We want you in the game. We want you in the front lines. We want you leading your neighbors and your friends to Jesus. I had um, coffee with a, a couple who were new, and I, I think they're here this morning. I think I saw them. And we met, and they were uh, just asking some really great questions about West Village, what it means to be connected here. And one of the questions they asked is, what does the church do to connect to the community, like to people that don't know Jesus? It's a great question. It's a good question you, you should ask when you come into a church. And, and, and I don't want to assume all that they had meant by that question, but a lot of times when we ask questions like that, really the underlying question is, what programs do you have that help connect the community to the church? So do you have alpha programs? Do you run soccer camps? Do you do stuff like that? And the response I gave was, your life. Your life is our program to connect to the community. See, there's a reason we don't organize programs, with a few exceptions, to connect to the community. Because we don't want to give you any excuse to not be involved in the front lines of what Jesus has called you to do. And so, your life is our plan to fulfill Jesus' mission for his church. Like some people will ask some, from time to time, you know, do you run Alpha? Alpha is a program that's designed to invite people who are, you know, spiritually seeking to come and hear the gospel. And the answer I always give to that is no. Your life is our Alpha program. 
wherever you live, whoever you're connected to, whoever you live amongst, work amongst, play amongst, those are the people that God has placed you in the midst of to share the gospel and to live out the mission. Your life is our alpha program. So, so some beautiful realities, some scary realities about that, because one of us, uh, for a lot of us, we, we feel terrified by that. We feel, feel terrified, ill-equipped, uh, unprepared, unsure how to actually go about doing this. We, we don't have a clue. And, and for, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. And our desire is to come alongside you and help you figure that piece out. But here's the beautiful reality. When the church actually embraces this idea of what it means to be the people of God, think about this for a second. There's probably over, just over 300 people that identify that this is their church that come here on a regular basis. That means we have alpha programs scattered all throughout our city. Every elementary school, every work cubicle, every university campus, every mom's playgroup, every soccer team you have your kids on is an opportunity to live out the mission. I was just sharing with somebody this morning that this week I, uh, I decided to take on the role of uh, the, the junior boys basketball coach at, at Spectrum High School. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why I want to do that. One of them is because I love coaching basketball. One of them is because my middle son is going to be on the team next year, and it's a great opportunity to connect to him. But here's another reason, because I have a beautiful opportunity to live out the mission of Jesus at Spectrum High School in front of a group of people that, as far as I know, have no connection to a church, have no understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I, I get to spend time with parents. I get to spend time with kids. I on Saturdays, I've been picking up some of the kids from the team, and we go to the gym, and we, we, we play basketball together, and, you know, trying to, trying to improve our skills. And I get opportunities to do life with them. I had a dad pull me aside. And, I mean, they all know I'm a pastor because every time I email them, it's chris at westvillagechurch.com. So they figure out I'm connected uh, to a church pretty quickly. I'm sure they've all gone on the website and listened to me preach. and been like, uh-oh. Um, but, but I had a dad pull me aside and say, uh, Chris, I'm so thankful for your involvement in my son's life. You know, he's just got some thing. He gets easily distracted, as a lot of, you know, 15, 16-year-old boys do, with some things that are not great. And he said basketball keeps him away from those things. And so, I mean, this is just our initial conversation. And my, my hope is that over the months and years, as I continue to invest in those relationships and in those people and in that place, I'm going to have many opportunities to, what? Fill Spectrum School with the knowledge of the glory of God. That every day... Every junior high school basketball player at Spectrum would have an encounter with Jesus and his church. And that's God's heart for his church. That's his heart for you. It's not an accident where you live. It's not an accident where you work. It's not an accident who you hang out with. All of those things are designed by God to put you in those places to be representation of his goodness and glory and grace that our city might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's what it means to be a part of a church. The Apostle Paul gives us another picture of this. If you have your Bibles, go to the right in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul. Ephesians is really a great uh, book that unpacks for us what the church actually looks like. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, says this about the church. He says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills 
everything in every way. Really, this is just another picture of gospel saturation. Look at, look at what Paul says here. He says, and God placed all things, what things? All things, everything under his feet. Whose feet? He's talking about Jesus' feet and appointed him head over what? Over the church. In other words, what Paul is saying is Jesus is the head of the church. If you were here a number of weeks ago, we said, you know, I'm not the pastor. I'm one of the elders here. And Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the head of this church. Which makes us what? Look at what Paul says here. Don't miss this. Which makes us his body. And what is God's heart for his church? What is his heart for the body of Christ? We are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, Jesus is the head of this church. We are the body of Christ. We are filled with what? The spirit of God sent out to live out the mission of God. Where? Everywhere. And so there's a, there's a whole bunch of really beautiful implications for us that come out of these ideas that we've been kind of knitting together here this morning. The first one is this. We have this, like it's, it's stunning if you just think about it with me for a second. The church is the ongoing incarnation of Christ. We talk a lot about the church being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. That the church has this, wonderful joy, this wonderful privilege, this wonderful opportunity to actually be filled with the Holy Spirit and to actually be made, raised up rather into maturity in Christ and to live in such a way that when your neighbors have a conversation with you, when you go to work in the morning, when you drop your kids off at school, that you are actually the body of Christ. God's plan for gospel saturation, God's plan for the city of Victoria is his people. It's you and it's me living out the mission of Jesus. It's not going to just happen. We have to actually participate in it. And so for some of us, we just have to have this mind shift when it comes to thinking about the church. The church is not a thing over there that you attend. It's you and it's me, it's us. Like I said, it's a people we belong to and a mission that we serve. It's not an event on Sunday that you check in your kids, grab a coffee, scone, come, good sermon, good music, check your kids out and go home like you're punching a clock. It's your whole life. It's your whole life. But it's also a joy and a privilege to serve Jesus in this way. But there's a second implication of this here. So again, Paul in verse 23 uses the word body to describe the church. And he uses that analogy of the church many times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about the church being a body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's actually unpacking for us the reality of spiritual gifts. And he's saying that everyone has a gift and everyone has a part to play and everyone's gift is significant and everyone's gift is important. In other words, what Paul is saying is it's all hands on deck. When it comes to the church, everybody has something to bring to the table. Everybody has something they can do to serve the family. Everybody has something they can do uh, to get involved. Because everybody's gift is important. And when when you hold back your gift, you're actually robbing the family. You're robbing the body of the unique thing that you bring to the table. I, I use this analogy a lot. Uh, we, we 
you know, we have a family potluck, like around the holidays, right? Everyone, family potluck, love it, right? Where you like just kind of endure your dysfunctional family. Well, the church is a lot like that. That's exactly what the church is like, actually. But when you go to the family potluck, everybody has a unique dish that they bring to the table, right? Like for my grandma, it was applesauce that was like homemade and warmed up. It wasn't just from a jar and it wasn't cold. It was homemade and it was warm. And whenever we had a family potluck, if grandma didn't bring the warm applesauce, Chris wasn't happy about it. I felt like the dinner was missing something. That's what the church is like. God has given you a unique gift. He's given you a unique way that you can serve, a unique personality. And when you hold that back, the entire church suffers. Like sometimes we wake up on a Sunday morning and I don't know, I get paid to be here. So this isn't my reality, but but some of you, you know, I'm assuming you have these kinds of, you feel like going this morning? I don't know. Time change, lost an hour of sleep. I know I'm preaching the choir because you guys all made it, but I don't know. How do you feel? How do you? Do we ever wake up and ask this question? I wonder if there's someone that we're going to meet with this morning at the gathering of the church who needs to meet with us. Probably not a lot. I wonder if there's going to be someone there that I can pray with. I wonder if there's going to be somebody there that I can encourage. I'm wondering if, if somebody would just be encouraged by my presence. Somebody from my community group is going to be there and I get to see them again. Usually we filter that question through the lens of self. And what the Apostle Paul is doing time and time again through the New Testament, he's saying, no, you have to actually think through the lens of others. That in the same way that Jesus laid his life down for you, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Like he, he saw you, he saw me, not through the lens of self-glorification, but through the, the lens of laying down his life as a servant. That's how we are called to view the church. And so some of you, you know, we, we have these kinds of conversations like, like I'm going to, in a second, I'm going to literally invite you to get involved, like in two minutes, okay? So if, you gotta, this is, if you're not in, like this is a chance to go to the bathroom. Go now. Nobody will judge you. Well, we will just be silent judging. But, sorry, love you, Boyd. I think that was Boyd. But some of you are going to say, well, I'm not sure I'm called to that. I'm not sure I'm called. According to the Apostle Paul, you're called. You're called. You've been given a gift, and you're called. And the question we have to ask is, will we use it to serve Jesus' church or not? You're not called to be a consumer. You're not called to sit on the sidelines and watch. You're not called to be a passive observer. You're not called to come and just partake in the buffet without contributing to the family. So again, I want want to just say this again because I want to be so clear because I'm not naive in a room this size with this many people. There's There's a broad spectrum here. And so this isn't get in or get out. This isn't, you know, get on the bus or get run over by the bus. But this is a a gut check. This is a heart check to ask the question, what are we about? What are you about? Because this is what we're about. And this is the invitation to come be a part of this. We want to be gracious. We want to be loving. We want to be kind. 
We want to invite you into the beauty, like the beauty and the privilege of what it means to be a part of the church. And let me just throw this in there too. And this is, I hope this isn't coming across as guilt. This is not guilt in any way. We are living in a time as a church, but also as a city where it is paramount for those of us who identify as followers of Jesus to step up our game. Not because there's needs, although there are needs, but because there are realities that we have to face. You are living in one of the least church cities in North America. This morning as we gather here, there's, you know, there's roughly, I don't know, 10,000 people meeting in churches. Some of those churches aren't even teaching and preaching the Bible. Statistics will tell you somewhere between 3 and 5% of our city actually attend a church that might, may or may not actually be teaching the Bible on a Sunday morning. Which means it's time for us as followers of Jesus to take seriously God's call to be involved in his mission. There's a million reasons, a million, why we could say no to that. But there's one really good reason to say yes. And that is because Jesus invites us into the beauty of being a part of his family and being on his mission. So what I want to do now with the time I've left is get super duper practical. Here's the ask, okay? Three things. I've already talked about them. The first one is this. Um, We want to invite you to start giving. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the invitation is to start giving financially. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but really quickly when we talk about giving at West Village, we talk about giving sacrificially, joyfully, and willingly, and that's because that's how the Apostle Paul describes giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. There's giving station in the lobby. There's jars at the front. Uh, You can literally, like, we have made this, like, as stupid, simple as possible. You can, like, text us money. (laughs) It's crazy, but it can be done. Uh, The number and the information's on the screen. That's just a suggested number. You don't have to give that much, but... Um, Second thing is this. Uh, Join a community group. Community group is where we live out being the church together. It's where we we decide we're not going to do Lone Ranger. We're going to actually do family. Uh, It's just an organizing structure that we give to what it means to be the church. Because the only thing worse than the uh, organized church, some of you are like, I'm anti-organized church. The only thing worse than the organized church is the disorganized church, right? And so this is just our way of like bringing some organization to what it means to be the church. And again, some of you are, I'm too busy to be in a community group. I don't have enough nights free. We're doing this. We're traveling here. We don't like people. Okay, those are all really bad reasons. Those are really, really bad reasons. They might all be true, (laughs) but they're all bad. Jesus calls us to live as family. You can't live as a family one hour a week. You can't even live as family one hour a week on Sunday and one hour a week on Wednesday. You have to actually get into life with one another. This is what it means to be the church. Again, it's different than a cruise liner. It's different than a battleship, right? We are all hands on deck, all in. So that's what it, that's what it means to be a part of this church. Again, if you're not in a community group, you know, we're not going to judge you, at least not out loud. Uh, Just kidding. Um, uh, We're not going to shame you. We're not going to call you and say you need to, you know, but but this is what it means to be a part of the church. If you're saying, this is my church, we're saying, okay, cool, come with us, come be on this mission with us. And it's there where everything happens. 
community group level. That's where pastoral care come, happens. You're going to call me and say, Chris, I really need to meet with someone for coffee. My first question back to you is going to be, have you met with your community group leader? Have you met with your DNA leader? Have you met with somebody in your community group? I'm not in a community group. Then I'm going to pass you off to Andrew, and it becomes his problem because he's going to try and get you into community group. That's where everything happens. I want to, I want to study the Bible. Do you have a men's Bible study? Yes, we have men. They're in community groups, and they study the Bible together. You should join one. Do you have something for my whatever? Yes, that happens at the community group level. Where does mission happen? Community group level. It all happens there. We try and do as little top down as we can because we want to do everything bottom up. And so be in a community group. We're, we're launching a fast track and I think this week. Um, it's really full, but I'm sure we can squeeze you in. You can email Andrew. It's andrew at westvillagechurch.com uh, to get more information. And we'll probably be doing another one later this year if you can't get in this one. Now, the last thing, and this is where I want to spend the rest of my time. The third way to get involved is join a serve team. If you came in uh, if you came in this morning, of course you came in this morning. That's a dumb way to start a sentence. You're here. So you came in this morning. You probably got one of these. Did you get one of these? No. Hold it up just for my own sanity. Hold up. Come on. Be joiners. So two of you. Come on. All right. We got to do better next week. We'll do better next week. Okay. <clears throat> so these are cards that say on the front, get involved. And it lays out everything we talked about with the exception of giving on the back, okay? But it includes community groups and includes all of our various uh, servant teams. And honestly, if you're not ready for a community group, being on a serving team is a good way to get to know people because you get to serve with them. As you heard in the video, you get to connect with people. But we have some really, really tangible needs. And again, we want to make this as stupid simple as we possibly can. And so you can see a number up on the screen there to text in. All you need to do is text that number in your name. Like, that's it. Even if you have questions, like you're not, it's not giving your firstborn. It's not, you know, signing anything in blood. It's just like, I got some questions. I want to know some things. Text that number with your name and somebody from our staff will call you and help you get connected. We also, out in the lobby, have a table and there'll be some of our leaders there with, you know, just opportunity for you to ask questions, but also give your name and number. So I want to just give you some key areas uh, where we need some servants. The first area is in the area of youth. And so currently in our youth uh, ministry, we need one to two female leaders. And that's roughly like a weekly commitment. There's exceptions to that, but that's the kind of commitment we're looking for. Our hospitality team, which again, you can see descriptions for these on the back of the card, but the hospitality team are the people that serve out in the lobby before and after the gathering. They help organize the coffee, do some setup out there. And, and I'll just say this about our hospitality team, because we hear this all the time, that we are one of the most welcoming churches that people have ever been, uh, in, you know, ever come to. And that's because of our hospitality team. The word hospitality literally means to welcome the stranger. And that's our heart with our hospitality team. It's to actually make people feel like they're a part of the family. If it's their first Sunday, we want to go over and above with that. But we're looking for people to get involved. We need roughly 10 to 12 people. Uh, and that's a one Sunday a month commitment. And, and here's what I'll say about these commitments, especially the ones that are one Sunday a month. Some of you are, are like... And again, this isn't guilt. This is just like, we're a family, right? We're a family. And so we're asking people to serve one Sunday a month. That, that's like 120 minutes, roughly. Let's just bump it up to 180 minutes a month. The analogy I, I used at our newcomer's lunch uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's probably not a great one for the newcomer's lunch, but whatever. Uh, it's like, if you have kids and you ask your 15-year-old to take out the garbage, I have a 15-year-old. Sometimes he gets asked to take a look at he's, he's always great about it. He's in here. So I'll talk. If you ask your 14-year-old who's in middle school, <laughs> not in the room right now, take out the garbage. 
Um, and he complains about it. You're like, what? Like, just take a, like, it's just a small ask. Like, do you not know all that's been done for you? Like, this is what it means to be a part of a family. Like, we do so much for you. And if you're feeling like, I just can't do 180 minutes a month, we understand. But you don't want to be the whiny teenager, do you? And again, don't want to guilt you. I don't want to shame you. That's like a baseline. <laughs> but like, this is Jesus' church, family. It's his church. It's his, it's his family. It's his body. It's his mission. It's not an all-you-can-eat buffet. And I realize most of you, many of you, we have a lot of people here that give sacrificially, serve sacrificially, live sacrificially. And we'd love for you to join that. Third uh, way or third need, and this is honestly, this is our biggest need. It's West Village Kids. Uh, We need 20 people as of yesterday serving in West Village Kids. And, I mean, if you, you know, you've been around here, you know there's a lot of short people that come to West Village. A lot of kids. And we are being super faithful to Jesus' call to uh, be fruitful and multiply. We're pumping out babies like every other day. Uh, think about this. When you come with your family, usually you come with two or three, right? And if you drop them off down the hall and come in here and don't participate, like that's a huge load. Like last week, my wife helped a new family get connected into the elementary age class, there were 30 kids just in the elementary school class, okay? There were three adults in that room. Like, we're growing. It's a good problem. It's not a bad problem. This isn't like a, man, we suck talk. This is like, guys, God's doing a great work around here talk. We need to roll up our sleeves and get involved talk, okay? We, on the average Sunday, we have between 70 and 80 kids down that hallway, over the course of a month, we have well over 150 kids that participate in our West Village Kids Ministry. Like, that is a good thing, right? It's a good thing that we have a ton of kids here. Like, it's an awesome thing. The Bible says really good things about kids. Children are a blessing. Not always feel like it. We don't always believe God when he says that. But that's what he says, and so we just believe him because he says it. He calls us to serve the least. And I realize some of us are like, ah, it's not my bag, it's not my thing. But these are God's kids. Like, what an opportunity to go down the hall and be involved in serving our children, hearing about Jesus on a Sunday morning. Some of you have a teaching gift. Great opportunities for teaching gift. But you don't even have to have a teaching gift. You don't even have to be a Christian to serve in our kids' ministry. There's opportunities to serve down at West Village Kids where you don't have to teach. You can show up the morning of. And basically, you're just trying to help kids not do anything that's going to, you know, get them in jail. You can hold babies. You can serve at the sign-in desk. Like, there's all kinds of needs. And up-front opportunities, behind-the-scenes opportunities. But there's some realities that we have to, you know, just talk about. One of those realities is when you have that many kids and that few adults, uh, it's not fair to the the adults that are serving. Right? It's a bad experience for them. They don't want to do it. And I understand that. So in that room with 30 kids and three adults, if you had added three more adults... So six total, 
that completely changes the dynamic in the room. And you've made it a better experience for the adults serving. You've gotten to know some people because there's some more adults in there. Plus, the kids are actually going to have a better time hearing about Jesus because they're going to get a better experience as well. And so, that's, that's one reality. The other reality is this. We just can only have so many kids and so many adults in the room at one time. And so, if, if we continue to grow like we have, and usually when somebody shows up here, they bring a bunch of midgets with them, like, we don't ever want to get to the point where we have to say, hey, we're really glad you're here for the first time and your kids can't come in here because there's too many kids. But we're kind of bumping up against that reality right now where it's not safe for them, it's not, it's not helpful for them, it's not helpful for our work. And, and this is not a threat. Like there's n- nothing intended there other than these are just like the realities and I'm just trying to make you aware of those realities. And so the ask with West Village Kids is um, can, you, can you serve one Sunday a month? Can you serve one Sunday a month? Can you, and it, again, you don't have to be like a quote-unquote Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be skilled. We will train you. We will get you ready to do all those things. But the reality is uh, we have some needs and we have some opportunities to step up. And the other reality that we have to just kind of celebrate is that these are the right problems to have. The right problems to have are hey, guys, we're growing and we have needs. There's too many kids. We need more people to step up. The church is, I got new people coming every Sunday, and so we need people to step up. These are good things, and they're opportunities for us as a church to roll up our sleeves, get on the front lines, and serve Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and it's like your first Sunday, like, it's okay. But if you've been coming here for a while, you identify as a follower of Jesus, and you're not involved in the serve team, then Um, we're inviting you to come be a part of that. We're inviting you to get into a community group. We're inviting you to start giving financially because that's what it means to be a part of the family. And here's our hope, that as that happens, as we continue to grow, as more people get involved, that we'll continue to see Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 happen through our church and in our city. That as we continue to grow, as more people continue to come, as we start more community groups, as we welcome more kids into our kids' ministry, as you get more and more involved, as you get in community group fast track, and then eventually into a community group that we're going to see more missionaries sent out to our city, that more and more people would hear the gospel and respond to the gospel, and that Jesus would receive more glory. Our hope is to plant more churches. Our hope is to have multiple gatherings in this theater. Our hope is to to send out more community groups, to send out more missionaries to our city. But what it requires is for all of us to roll up our sleeves because it's all hands on deck. It's all hands on deck. So this isn't get in or get out. This is, man, what an opportunity in front of us. Amen? Amen? What an opportunity to serve in Jesus' church. What an opportunity to be used by Jesus to bless our city and to make him known across the city of Victoria. So again, you can text in if you want to get involved. The number's on the screen. And there will be some people who are going to stare at you awkwardly as you walk past them in the lobby at a table out there, Um, but I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We celebrate it. We we celebrate that we have hundreds of uh, kids. We have hundreds of um, uh, children. We have just people coming, people meeting you, people 
coming to faith here. We're sending out more missionaries. We have people who are adopting children. We have all kinds of crazy things that are happening for your glory. We thank you that we get to be a part of that. Thank you that you call us to serve in your church. Lord, I pray that you would stir the affections of our heart, that we would see service as something that we have to do begrudgingly, but it would be something that you would give us a heart, your heart, to serve in such a way that would bring you honor and glory. Lord, we do pray for the future of our church. We're so thankful for the work you've started here. And our heart is that many would come to know you through West Village. We thank you for the many who have. And we pray in faith for the many who will. We pray for churches to be planted. We pray for new community groups to be started. We pray for orphans to be adopted, for the, the lost sons and the lost daughters to be reconciled back to you. Lord, we pray that this, this little local expression of your family would tell a better story to our city. So fill us and use us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen.